listening to Ping, a new podcast by APNIC discussing all things related to measuring the internet. I'm your host, Robbie Mitchell. If you missed our first show and are wondering what this podcast is all about, each fortnight we'll be chatting with internet researchers and operators from around the world about the research that they are doing and insights they've gained into the well-being of the internet. For those who did catch our first show, thanks for the shares and feedback. And if you did subscribe, thanks for that too. Okay, enough of the pleasantries. Let's jump into our second show. Today, we're talking to Ignacio Castro from the Queen Mary University of London, whose interests are normally in the realm of the economics of the internet, but who has collaborated recently with several other internet measurement researchers to characterize the demographics and trends in the IETF across its history and how this has impacted the evolution of the internet. Some of you may have come across this work at the Internet Engineering Steering Group meetings earlier this year, or will soon at this week's IETF 112, an upcoming Internet Measurement Conference. Check out the links in the description if not, as there is a lot of really interesting information in this research to digest, which we hope to summarise in this episode. Ignacio, welcome to Ping. Thank you very much, Robbie. Pleasure to be here. So to start, Ignacio, can you give our listeners a brief synopsis of the research that you and your colleagues have been working on? Yeah, definitely. So we have been hearing from the challenges faced by the ITF, like finding the right expertise for cross-area review, attracting, uh, attracting and retaining participants, or the difficulties in aligning different technical and economic incentives, or, or for example, coping with uh, political issues such as uh, GDPR, uh, US restrictions in uh, Huawei. And at the same time, we realized that, uh, well, the ITF is uh, one of the best documented institutions, certainly in the internet. And on top of that, uh, is uh, one of these critical melting points of the internet where a lot of stakeholders uh, from an economic and uh, technical angle come together to try to make sure that they can interoperate with each other, that their preferences are taken into account, and so on and so forth. So it reflects a lot of the things that are going on on the internet. Uh, and for example, we saw that uh, you can clearly see uh, how the internet at the beginning was very academic. Most of the production of RFCs was from, uh, from universities, then it becomes commercial. The race and fall of giants, uh, with Huawei, for example, becoming quite relevant, or for example, new proposals to re-architect the whole internet, like a new IP from Huawei. So putting these two things together, we thought that analyzing the the ITF was a fantastic idea because, well, on the one hand, we can we have tons of uh, cool data, we have. Uh, the mail list of the people who participate, the affiliation of many of them, uh, the documents that they produce, the versions of each uh, document with all the changes that have happened in between, the minutes of the agenda, the agendas, and even the videos of some of the physical meetings more recently. So taking all these together, we thought that uh, it would be a fantastic idea to, well, on the one hand, see what can we learn about the internet by looking through the vantage point of the ITF as something that reflects the composition and tensions within the internet. And on the other one, if we assume that the ITF is a critical, necessary element for the successful uh, growth of the internet, what can we do to improve the way it works or what can we identify that could be improved? And in order to do that, we put together a team with uh, people with expertise on the ITF, knowing its ins and outs, some people like myself with expertise on uh, how the internet works and social network analysis, as well as uh, NLP expertise to analyze more deeply the conversations and decision making within the ITF. So take us back a step. 
What was the hypothesis of the project? And was it formed by data-loving individuals like yourself who don't really have strong ties to the IETF, but came together thinking, wow, that's a great source of data that we can use to understand, as you said, what the internet looks like through the lens of the IETF? Or was it something that was born out of discussions or a working group within the IETF? Right. So it was a combination of several things. Uh, Certainly it was not commissioned by uh, anyone else. It just came from uh, collaboration between several colleagues. Uh, We have some colleagues from the ITF that uh, had a very clear interest in having a a better and deeper understanding on uh, the evolution of the ITF, uh, the limitations of the ITF and the trends that uh, the ITF uh, is going through now. On the other hand, there was another group of people that come from an NLP background that thought like, well, that's a fantastic data set because we have decisions being made on the open and we know how these decisions are being reflected on the document. So we have kind of a ground truth of the implications of every decision at every point in time, as well as a lot of metadata, like the organization to which a given person belongs or uh, the role within the ITF hierarchy, like for example, are you chair of the working group? So all this information is very cool to be able to to do um, decision-making analysis. So the ITF was just a perfect data set for them. And then there was other people like myself, uh, whose interest was a little bit of a combination of things, like uh, I'm interested in the ITF per se, but I'm really interested on, let's say, like the macroscopic evolution of the internet. And I thought like, well, Looking at it through the eyes, uh, through the lens of the ITF, sounds like a very interesting perspective that uh, has not been really exploited. And at the same time, uh, indeed, the ITF is uh, critically produces all these uh, protocols that we are using all the time, right? Like right now. So, is there anything that uh, we can do to improve this process? So, has this type of research been done before, Ignacio? Well, there has been quite a few people that uh, has looked into the ITF, right? And for example, the post from Geoff uh, recently in uh, this uh, blog uh, is one example of it. The ITF has uh, done periodical exercises of uh, self-analyzing itself. And for example, like typically, I think every 10 years, like there is an RFC going through a little bit of the history of the, um, of the ITF. And uh, there are even particular RFCs trying to identify problems and solutions. Uh, and there has been uh, other groups that uh, have done some fantastic work, like, for example, the people from the data tracker putting together data from the ITF and making it available, and we use a lot of it. Or people from the Big Bang Group, uh, which are mostly looking at the social network as produced by the um, by the email exchange uh, in the ITF and other organizations. And uh, we hope to build uh, on top of this and uh, putting it all together, uh, bring in a, a specific uh, expertise on different areas and in particular trying to analyze uh, what can we do to help uh, improve the workings of the ITF and the decision-making process in particular uh, and uh, in general analyzing the decision-making process of the ITF and uh, how this reflects uh, how the internet is evolving. You plan on presenting this at IETF 112, don't you? Yeah, yeah, that's the plan. So we plan to present it at the ITF. Uh, We will present it, of course, at the IMC. Where we have a paper, and uh, there's also going to be a workshop of the Internet Architecture Board, uh, where we hope to present it as well. And it's precisely on this topic. Uh, so me the numbers is called, and it's about the numbers of the ITF. I wanted to talk about ground truthing. How do you plan on ground truthing some of these things that you've seen in the data, such as if RFCs are becoming harder to publish? Will there be a qualitative approach in the future? But that's a really good question, and uh, ground truthing is uh, definitely a challenge. 
So first of all, like, what is success on the ITF? Uh, that's a tricky question, right? Because uh, should we measure success of the ITF by its output, being its output uh, RFC documents? Well, that might be one of the obvious things that uh, we can do because, well, we have them, they are available, and uh, you can very easily track them. But uh, at the same time, uh, that's quantity. Does quantity also relate to quality? Maybe some uh, RFCs are better than others. And also, regardless of quantity or quality, maybe uh, RFC is not particularly good, but it's a spot on at a particular moment in time, and it gets implemented. Whereas another one, maybe it was fantastic, and it does not get that implemented because, uh, well, another solution may be suboptimal, but that came before, has already uh, been implemented. So this is a very difficult question, and uh, at the moment we have looked at uh, the number of RFCs because that's something that we can track. We have even looked a little bit about uh, deployment of RFCs because there is some previous work that they label, I think, around 200 RFCs. Uh, however, this is very tricky. Uh, one of the things that we plan to do to alleviate this is to run a survey. So maybe if you're listening uh, uh, to this podcast, uh, you will receive uh, uh, closer to the end of the year or the beginning of the next one uh, a request to fill in a survey. Please do. There you go. You've heard it here first. Uh, we plan to run a survey with um, across people of the ITF, uh, not list select Nanog or uh, Ripe uh, people to ask them to label RFCs. Uh, are they deployed? Uh, are they not? Uh, are they relevant? Uh, are they not? Uh, are they niche? Uh, are they um, uh, general? And again, I know that this is a tricky question. And uh, you ask uh, two people, and probably you will have two different answers. Some of them saying this is critical and fundamental for the future of the internet, and other people saying this is an absolute waste of time and we should have stopped it 10 years ago. So that's uh, that's a critical thing with ground truthing, uh, a critical problem that we face, a challenge that we face with ground truthing. Has it become more difficult to publish on the ITF? Well, probably that's something that uh, it's impossible to definitely answer. We can say that it's taking longer. It involves more people, uh, more institutions, uh, more areas. Is it more difficult? Well. It definitely takes longer, it takes more pages, but uh, maybe it's for a good thing. Maybe the documents are of uh, greater quality. Maybe they include uh, expertise uh, from different areas that are now required. Maybe the internet has become a more complex place to build new things because uh, they need to be interoperable with another one. So you would have to normalize by how difficult it is to do things within the internet nowadays. So I hope this uh, somehow answers partially the question. Yeah, yeah. It, it's good to see how this is a primer for future research. On the note of interoperability, Jeff Houston, APNIC's chief scientist, recently wrote about running code on the APNIC blog and how it used to be embedded in IETF's standard process but hasn't featured for quite some time. From the perspective of this research, can you see if and how this has affected the RFC process? I'm thinking whether some of the figures that I have uh, can help me answer a bit of that, but uh, I don't think at least... uh... I guess that's where the qualitative analysis hopes to shed more light. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that uh, m- maybe if you look at uh, how difficult it was to publish uh, an RFC back in the days and you compare it with now, that could give you an idea to have uh, some sort of uh, benchmark versus other uh, um, RFCs that would require to have uh, a interoperability assessment. But uh, yeah, I would be very careful to make, uh, to make a definite uh, statement on that regard. No, no, that makes sense. I put you on the spot with that question, so sorry for that. 
But from the analysis, have there been any significant trends related to the origins of RFCs, be it geographical or affiliations? So that, that was something actually that came very clearly out of the data. You can see by the authorship of RFCs how at the beginning of the internet, they are pretty much coming from academic institutions. And as the internet became a commercial enterprise, they immediately become dominantly commercial. And at the beginning, you can even see uh, that uh, is the main nodes of the ARPANET, the main producers of RFCs, which of course makes sense. Uh, and through the commercialization of the internet, you can also see the uh, rise of giants. So you can see, for example, how Huawei, bec- uh, sorry, how uh, Cisco becomes uh, very relevant and then kind of plateaus, how Huawei becomes uh, very relevant in recent years, how um, Nokia suffers a rise and fall, in terms of authorship, at least. And what about the geographical distribution of authors? Yeah, so I, actually, one thing that uh, one thing that we observe is that uh, in general, the internet uh, seems to have become a more diverse ecosystem in terms of uh, affiliation of its participants with regards to geography. The increased diversity on the recent years uh, is mostly due to Europe and Asia. Uh, other country, uh, other regions of the world are still underrepresented, in particular Africa. I know that the IETF's working to incorporate the views from the Asia-Pacific, Africa and South America more into discussion as they haven't traditionally had as much to say or put forward as many RFCs as those from North America or Europe. Our friend Dhruv Dodi has written on this on the APNIC blog before and he and his colleagues in India are doing a great job encouraging new people to get involved through the India Internet Engineering Society. Shout out to those peeps there. So it's interesting to see that this research has showed some shifts in the geographic contributions. Yeah, yeah, that uh, clearly stands out from the data, and in particular uh, from the Asia region led by uh, Huawei, who has become a major player on the ITF in terms of RFC production. An interesting trend I took from one component of the research was participation in IETF mailing lists, or rather a, a steep decrease in participation since 2018. What conclusions did you draw from this? Right, so, okay, that uh, graph is a little bit tricky. It was just uh, some of the preliminary work. And uh, uh, what uh, we do to consider participation is whether a person remains engaged in the ITF by sending emails or appearing in the mail lists, uh, which, of course, means that as you get closer to the cutting line, uh, people do not have a chance to send an email one year later, two years later, three years later. So, of course, you see an artificial spike in the number of uh, dropouts. However, if we look, and that uh, should be in our IMC paper, uh, the number of emails that engage in activity on a given year, we do see that there is a peak in, in, in the number of different uh, people that engage on the, um, on the mailing, so different emails different peoples actually that engage in the different um, in the different years in 2007 if I am not uh, wrong uh, yes in 2007 and from there on, from there on it does keep decreasing uh, as a general trend uh, however interestingly the number of emails exchanged remains stable so we have a decreasing number of uh, people that, that participate in the mail list 
and a stable number of uh, number of messages exchanged. And and you've also done as part of this research to to see if the emails are spam or not. So and from your accounts, it seems to not be spam related. Yeah, so that was a, that was a tricky bit. We were surprised by some of these spikes, and uh, we were checking. Well, maybe we just got it wrong. Maybe there is just tons of spam. And uh, to some extent, that was the case. Uh, we were uh, pulling the data from um, the FTP servers. And then when we pull the data from the IMAP servers, most of the spam disappear. Uh, we have further check to make sure that uh, there is no spam le- uh, left running uh, the spam assassin. And I think it was like around 1%. So it's probably safe to assume that uh, the results are not distorted by the presence of a spam. We talked earlier about geographical groups and affiliations that were most involved or, or least involved producing RFCs. You also looked at whether age has had an impact on participation in the IETF too. Yeah, so that, that's something actually that uh, we're really keen on exploring further. Uh, at the moment, we have only some preliminary results and it seems like uh, people who have been in the ITF for longer tend to participate more as well as uh, people who have just joined. Uh, but this is something that we are exploring more at the moment. So uh, I, I could be a little bit careful in uh, making uh, too many assertions. Uh, things that we have found that uh, I can clearly say is that, uh, as I was mentioning before, um, the number of uh, emails exchanged in the ITF uh, has uh, stabilized uh, around uh, 14,000, between 14 and 12,000 per year. Uh, and that uh, we can see a very, very clear correlation between the number of emails exchanged by a working group and the number of RFCs uh, produced uh, by, the, uh, by that working group. And what working groups are particularly uh, producing the most RFCs in, from your analysis? Uh, well, I hope that uh, that is uh, irrespective of the analysis. Uh, I don't have the numbers in front of me, though. Uh, for example, the MPLS uh, working group did produce a lot of uh, RFCs, uh, from what I can recall from my memory. Uh, but yeah, there was a very, very clear group. I think you got about 175 with MPLS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's uh, that's kind of the number that I recall. Uh, interestingly, there were a few RF, uh, there were a few working groups that uh, were um, producing relatively few RFCs, uh, but exchanging a lot of uh, emails and a lot of, uh, and a few uh, working groups that were doing the opposite. And well, we plan to analyze uh, to look a little bit deeper into this to to try to understand that possibly. Uh, what are the differences between the working groups that lead to this? I would have thought that last year and this year, you may have noticed a lot more participation on emailing lists, possibly because there hasn't been face-to-face discussions happening during ITF conferences. And potentially this has helped with recording a lot of conversations that are often over coffee. Yeah, that's a very good point. So we we do see that uh, 2020 uh that's see an increase in participation. Uh, however, uh, sorry, in participation in the number of emails uh, exchanged. However, uh, it's still in line with uh, the previous uh, five years. So it's hard to say whether there is something really relevant. Uh, at the same time, I, one thing that uh, should be noted is that uh, whereas we have a uh, the complete uh, mail list. Uh, if uh, two participants decide to exchange an email outside of the mail list, of course, we won't have this information. And and this might be something that has started to happen more. And here I'm just uh, hypothesizing that uh, because you don't have the, let's say, a coffee chat uh, that you would have in the uh, typical ITF meeting, people might be having a little bit uh, more of a parallel conversations uh, that are not recorded within uh, 
the ITF mailing list, and of course we we cannot say we cannot see this, and we don't know whether this is the case or not. Uh, one thing that we have observed though uh, is that the, the number of uh, drafts here, so these are the first drafts that are produced in order for an RFC to eventually uh, become such, uh, has decreased. So we would expect that in the short term, medium term, the number of RFCs produced in the ITF uh, is reduced. And this seems to be related to um, uh, to the limitations uh, to interactions imposed by COVID. Oh, it's interesting to know. Yeah, uh, it will be interesting to see if that comes out in uh, the data as well uh, in the uh, next uh, 12 months. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess that uh, we, we should see soon because, uh, I mean, for uh, RFCs, startups are draft zeros, so less draft zeros are likely not necessarily going to result in less RFCs being uh, produced. And that only compounds that issue that you mentioned at the start in terms of it taking longer for RFC drafts to be uh, produced as well, I can imagine. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Uh, that's uh, part of a more general trend. But uh, yeah, if you put these two things together, uh, probably is going to result in a reduced number of uh, RFCs per year, which again, as we were discussing before, is not necessarily a good or a bad thing. It's uh, just an objective observation. While we're on the topic of working groups, this study also looked at the similarity of working groups. Is there much crossover? Yeah, so uh, this is uh, something that we were actually quite interested in uh, looking at because we are aware that uh, a Crossera review uh, is uh, one of the things that the ITFO is uh, working hard to make as good as possible. And in order to be able to do that, uh, finding the right expertise uh, is critical. So we were trying to understand uh, the similarity uh, between uh, the different working groups and the different people. So what we did was to uh, compare uh, how similar were uh, two working groups by the emails that uh, are exchanged in the mail list of those working groups. And uh, what we found is that uh, some areas, uh, the, the working groups of some areas for example, tend to cluster together. So for example, uh, I think it was uh, in the routine area. Uh, the working groups uh, tend to cluster together in terms of the in terms of sim uh, topic similarity. So basically, the working groups tend to exchange emails that, from a NLP topic uh, analysis perspective, are relatively similar. Whereas, for example, operational uh, operations and management uh, area, the working groups tend to do the opposite. They do not cluster together. So, for example. Uh, if I'm looking at those numbers, I can see that uh, the global uh, routine operations working group uh, in terms of topic similarity is very similar to the working groups of the routine area, which makes sense. And for example, also the distributed mobility management uh, from uh, the internet area. Uh, is also similar in terms of the topics discussed on the mail lists uh, to those of the routine uh, of the routine area. Uh, so we, we plan to expand this further to have a more fine-grained understanding uh, both of the trends in terms of topics, the divergence, uh, the heterogeneity of topics, as well as uh, trying to use this uh, topic similarity to identify potentially good suggestions for cursor review. And I guess this is also a reflection of the interoperability required within the standards process and that these working groups should be communicating with each other to understand what they're working on and how it would impact others. And they need to be aware of that when they're developing drafts. 
Yeah, that's uh, that's probably a very good point, and probably it's more for someone from the ITF to to reflect on the overhead that they suffer. The only thing I know is that uh, uh, people that engage on the ITF uh, very frequently do it uh, on a pro bono basis, uh, and there is a substantial overhead in uh, dealing with the administration, email exchange, being on top of things. So whereas uh, saying like uh, people in the ITF should be aware of everything that is going on the ITF is probably a desirable goal. Probably what we should be thinking is uh, how can we enable that in such a way that it does not produce a, a lot of overhead. And for example, if I look at the less uh, number of uh, RFCs over time, but uh, a stable number of uh, emails that probably says that, well, if you want to be engaged uh, in the ITF, uh, there are a lot of emails that you need to read, even if uh, not a lot of RFCs are being produced. Uh, hard to say whether this is a good or a bad thing, but it does probably mean that the people need to work harder in order to be a meaningful member within the ITF. Also, RFC is taking longer means that if you're engaged in the production of an RFC, it probably is going to take more of your time as it expands longer uh, over longer periods of time. It's definitely a commitment, isn't it? I know that a lot of industries and companies have devoted a lot of time to it and they commit people and give them time to be able to do it. But a lot of this is all voluntary. I mean, the ITF and to a greater extent, much of the internet has been developed by people volunteering their time. What has been the reception from the ITF and from the community to this research and the results? I would say that uh, pretty good. Uh, we presented the results to the ISD and uh, they were quite interested in it and they found the results uh, quite interesting, frequently aligned with the things that they were seeing, sometimes a little bit surprised by uh, how clear the trends so were. they have been actually measuring this as well. So the ITF has the data tracker, which uh, collects a lot of the data, and uh, there are some visualizations on the ITF. And of course, many people in the ITF is well aware of the dynamics that are going on uh, within uh, within the community. I, I think that uh, we had a, we have a very comprehensive uh, perspective, uh, both in terms of uh, the period of time cover as well as uh, the different aspects and depth into which we look into it. And I. Don't think that uh, such an exercise has been done. Though probably, if you put together all the bits that have been done here and there, uh, there, are, there is many people that have a very good view of uh, what's going on on the ITF. And outside of the ITF, within the community, has anyone been able to give suggestions about how to broaden this research? Uh, yeah. Well, we had a few comments about, for example, looking into Git. So we're aware that uh, there are some working groups that are heavily relying on Git. So even some of the emails that they could traditionally have sent are not being sent, and now there are messages in uh, to Git. So we are planning to look uh, to look more carefully into Git, uh, see how we can incorporate uh, this data. Also, uh, the variations on the documents uh, we have looked a little bit into it, but not in full depth. Uh, so we are quite keen to see how different email exchanges reflect in different changes. Uh, definitely the the actual meetings from which we have uh, the participation list, uh, the minutes, uh, as well as uh, the videos. We plan to take uh, data from there as well. Uh, some people have mentioned that uh, the World Web Consortium is a similar institution and some of the analysis that we are doing would be well fitted there. So probably we will plan to do that in the future. Yeah, there are a number of directions that we plan to explore at the moment. Uh, we are particularly keen on... Um, ground truth in uh, RFC deployment to have a better understanding of uh, which RFCs are deployed, not uh, relevant, not niche or not, uh, as well as uh, labeling email discussions to understand uh, 
at which point in the discussion a decision was taken in order to be able to analyze uh, how this is reflected later on the text of the drafts. That's fantastic. And is there a mailing list or discussion board where people can actually uh, follow the discussions that are happening around this research? Uh, we have a, a we have a mail list, uh, so we can actually share that, uh, so people can uh, email us or people can email me uh, or any of the people from the group, or if they want to engage, have questions, want to discuss, and we also have a, we also have a website which I can share with you. Uh, where we will be posting uh, this paper and other papers that we produce along with uh, the data sets, uh, the code, uh, which we also make available in the near future. We'll put that in the description section of the podcast so that people can find that for themselves. Ignacio, it's been a pleasure talking with you and I'm looking forward to what discussions and further research come out of this particularly the qualitative research that your group is about to embark on. And I do encourage everyone in the community to participate if they can, as it should bring a lot of colour to the data that this group has already put together and hopefully assist with giving an even clearer view of the health of the ITF and its future direction as well. Yeah, thank you very much, Robbie. Uh, we will make sure that uh, the surveys are light overhead ones. Uh, we are all well aware of uh, how not fun it is to fill in long surveys. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you very much for the blog. Thanks so much for joining us today, Ignatia, and all the best to you and the team for presentations at IETF and IMC as well as the survey, which will be sure to promote on the APNIC blog. For those who'd like to learn more about the project, check out sodastream.github.io. We'll put that in the description below. And we hope you've enjoyed the show. If so, please do subscribe and tell your colleagues about it. As mentioned at the start, we plan on scheduling these episodes each fortnight. If we get plenty of interest, we may look to make it weekly. In this respect, do let us know what you think of the show. And if you've got a story or research to share, get in contact with us via email, ping at apenic.net or our APNIC social media channels. And be sure to check out the APNIC website for all your resource and community needs. Until next time.